greatest force for good the world has ever seen. And you're part of that story. Being here this morning, you are part of that story. That story began, that began around 30 AD when in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended on a group of 120 people in an upper room and the church was born. You're part of that. And we want to talk about the church today because this is kind of a, a Sunday of celebration for us as we've come to the end of another fiscal year and starting another one. I want to talk about the church and the calling that we have from God. As you can see in that picture I took this week, or actually Sharon took it for me, a God calling, that God is calling us to be part of this amazing thing that he created called the church. And I I hope all of you rejoice in that. And our love is as a church to do everything we do, all for Jesus Christ, all the time. It's not just on Sunday mornings, but when we leave this place, we're changed people. We want to change the world. We want to bring the message of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. They don't know it yet, but they desperately need Jesus Christ in their lives. And I want to begin by opening the word of God to Matthew 28. But before we do that, let me have a word of prayer and just commit this time to the Lord. Lord, thank you that you're here. Thank you that we are the church. It's not a building. It's not a structure. It's people that have been changed by your power. And I pray, God, that all of us would rejoice in that, that we would not miss the calling that you've given to us, that as the church, we're here to change the world. And so, Lord, I thank you for this local body of believers, this local church. I thank you for everyone that's here today. Because we're here to worship you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 18. We love having our Bibles open here at Riverview Church. This is known as the Great Commission. You might say, Mel, I know what that is. I, I get a Great Commission every time I make a sale at my company. No, that's not what this is. This is a sending that God gave us, that Jesus gave us. Matthew 28, 18. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. It's the last words recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, Jesus came to the disciples and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority was given to Jesus? All of it, right? That's an amazing thing. You might say, well, Mel, how did that happen? Well, when Jesus rose from the dead, even the authority to forgive sins and to save people by the power of his death on the cross, that authority was now given to him. He had already created the universe. 400 billion galaxies created by him, through him, and for him. Exactly. Every one of us created for Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the Bible. You are created for a purpose. You're created for Jesus Christ. You are not the result of a random series of biological accidents, as atheistic evolution would tell us. You are created by a God who loves you. He stamped his image on you. He's given you a purpose. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. No other being is like him. Part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then it says this. Go therefore. Now go here in the Greek is not really the main verb of the sentence. It really is in your going. In your going therefore. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples is the verb of the entire command. 
of the commission. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't you love that? That Jesus Christ is with us always to the end of the age. This, my friends, is great commission is a cry of victory by God. All authority has been given to me. How did that happen? Through the cross and his resurrection. Now he delegates some of that authority to us to go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them. It's a mission that we have. And, and you're part of that. Riverview is part of that. Thank you for being part of that. I want you to know as a pastor, I love our church. I love being the chief servant at our church. I, I feel like as a pastor, my role is I am the servant here, serving you. I have the blessing of serving you as you serve others as well. Because we serve an awesome God. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he's right here with us right now. He is alive and well. He rose again from the dead. And we have an amazing thing that God has given to us. An amazing body of believers that come together every Sunday as brothers and sisters in Christ that are imperfect, but we are being changed by the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection that conquered death and is able to conquer any problem that we have in our lives. Here's the first thing I want to remind you of. Live by the power of the resurrection. It changes everything. It changes everything. Paul says, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of the resurrection in my life. The word there in the Greek is gnosko. It's an experiential know. Like you might know a lot about the sun, right? But you've never been there. You might know a lot about the moon, but you've never been there. Gnosko is an experiential knowledge. The word for a knowledge that is a knowledge that you have about facts and information. The word there in the Greek is oida. The Greek word used here is, or at least by Paul in Philippians, is gnosko, an experiential knowledge to live according to the power of the resurrection. Jesus says all authority. I love that. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And behold, I am with you always. See, there's a power in that authority that God gives us. Whatever God takes us to, he's able to take us through that thing. He gives us the strength if we plug into it. If we appropriate that strength, if we say, God, I want to appropriate that victory in my life. I don't know if any of you saw the soccer game yesterday between Germany and Sweden. Anybody watch that game yesterday? Wow, no wonder why I got such low ratings. You did, you did. All right. Okay, good. Well, you know, my wife is from Germany, and and Germany was losing most of the game. They were losing one to nothing. And then Germany scored a goal in the second half. They tied it up one to one. And if they didn't win this game, they would be out of the World Cup. They wouldn't make it out of the pool that they were in. So they needed to win this game, and I knew that the joy in my household uh, depended, since my wife is from Germany, on Germany winning this game. 
And my wife was sad the whole game. She's watching the game. She's bummed out. She's, we're going to lose. And there was about a minute left in the game. And Germany had a direct kick. And they set it up just outside the box. And this one German player made this amazing kick. It curved around the defenders and hit the upper corner of the goal. And Germany eventually, 30 seconds later, won two to one. The energy in my family changed. The joy in my marriage changed. Why? Because we experienced victory, right? My wife was joyful over the victory Germany had won. I want to tell you today, that's the joy that we should have in the church every time we get together. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we have problems. But the joy of Christ and the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, the authority that he has over all of heaven and earth, is enough to solve any problem that we have. I want to tell you that today. It gives us joy in the midst of a world that is lost and groping in darkness and in sin. We have the light of Jesus Christ. And that's why I love the church. That's why I love seeing all of you here. And I hope every Sunday when you come, you come with expectant hearts because you know Jesus Christ has won the victory. And we come celebrating each Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ, knowing that one day that victory will be fully realized as Jesus sets up his kingdom for all of eternity. See, the power of the resurrection, my friends, redefines who you are. I read this passage this morning, but I think it should give us a source of strength as we serve Christ every day. You are a chosen race. We don't fully understand how God did this, but he chose you. It's designed in the word of God to be an act of love. It's, some people take it as an act of rejection. It's really an act of love by God. You are chosen by God. You are a chosen race that should tell you how God loves you. A royal priesthood highlights the access you have to this all-powerful being we know as God. You have access. You don't have to go through anyone. You don't have to go to anyone to access God. You are a priest, direct access to God. You're a holy nation. How did that happen? Well, it happened when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not holy in and of ourselves, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sins, my friends, are nailed to the cross with Christ. You are made holy by the holiness of Jesus Christ. I know I'm sinful. I know I'm not perfect. But God has made us a holy nation because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why you have direct access. That's why you can enter into the presence of God as one of his children. Because God has made you holy. It's awesome. You're a holy nation. And then I love this. You're a people for God's own possession. You've been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, it redefines who you are. I feel sorry for the world. My heart breaks for uh, our kids in public high schools who are taught that they are the result of a random series of biological events, as I just mentioned, uh, or the result of atheistic evolution, that there's not a God behind it all. My heart breaks for these young people who are defined in that way. 
by a lie. When it's God that created them, God who loves them, God who knows their name, God who has a purpose for them. When you understand that, it changes the way you live. It redefines who you are. You're defined by Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. Here's the second thing the power of the resurrection does. It reorders your priorities. I want to tell you in this world today, people live for themselves. They live for themselves if they don't know Jesus Christ. And even the Bible says all of our good works are like filthy rags. Why? Because we don't do our good works for the right reason. Our good works should be done to glorify God. We do this, like Jesus said, we're to let our light so shine before men that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven, right? That's why if you don't know Jesus, all your good works are like filthy rags because they don't glorify our Father in heaven. But once you know Jesus, you know that everything you do is a result of what Jesus does through you. Like Jesus said, we can do nothing apart from him. How much is that? Zero. We can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. So God tells us to reorder our priorities. I love what this verse says in Colossians 1.18. He is the head, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, that in everything he might be, what? Preeminent. What does that word mean? I put it there. To have first place. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you realize, I'm not in first place anymore. The world is not here to serve me anymore. I'm not the main concern of my life. Life is not all about me. When you come to Christ, you realize I am part of something much bigger than myself. My life has a purpose much greater than just living for myself. I live for Jesus Christ. He has first place in my life. Now, it's a battle. I get it. We don't always do it perfectly. I don't always do it perfectly. But he is the preeminent concern of my life. Do I, in everything I do, give glory to God and do it for him? Try to point people to God. Like the sun reflects the light. I'm sorry, the the moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon's greatness is found in reflecting the light of the sun. So our greatness is found when we reflect the light of Jesus Christ. I love the words of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must what? Decrease. Now that's not a message that plays well in this world today. I get it. But that's why our world is so messed up. People say, well, I've got to increase myself. I've got to make myself more important. The hero that I need in my life is me. Now, the Bible would say the hero that we need in our lives is Jesus Christ as he empowers me to do his will. Jesus Christ becomes the hero that he might be first place in everything. If he's first place in everything, then you know that everything you do is ordered by, directed by the truth of God's word. That I'm not to live for myself. I'm to live for Jesus first, then others, and then me. That's what Shingle Springs is doing in this trip down to Tijuana, building a house for somebody else. They're taking time out of their schedule they could have taken for themselves. They could have taken a nice vacation. 
just for themselves. But they, along with so many of you, give of yourselves because you've reordered your priorities. I want to thank you for that because that's what a church is all about. Jesus first, then others, then me. And you know what's amazing? I found that to be true in my life. The less I thought about me and the more God began to work in my heart to change me to think about others, the more joy I had in my life. Because if you're not living that way, you're like the dog that's constantly chasing its tail, never quite quite gets there, never quite arrives, never has enough, always wants more, dissatisfied with life. See, the power of the resurrection reorders your priorities because you know that Jesus Christ has power over death. All authority has been given to him. All authority. And he will never leave you. He's with you to the end of the age. Here's another thing that I believe the power of the resurrection does. It removes your fears. It removes your fears. See, I I get it that telling people about Jesus Christ can be an intimidating thing at times. It's not always easy. There are people around you that will reject you. But if you understand the power of the resurrection, you know that even if people take my life from me, there's victory in that. Even if I lose my life following Jesus Christ, there's a victory in that. It removes all of your fears. I remember uh, sharing with someone that God loves you and has a great plan for your life, sharing Christ with them. This one person said to me, well, how can, God, how can you say that, that God has a great plan for your life? What if you're on an airplane and all the engines go out and you're heading down to the earth and you're about to crash? Are you going to tell me that God has a good plan for your life? Because that's happened to Christians, you know. And I said, exactly. That's exactly when God's good plan for our life comes into effect. Why? Because when you hit the ground, you will instantaneously be with this God who loves you perfectly and has prepared a place for you for all of eternity. That's when the good news kicks in. Amen, church? Because all of us are on a jet plane going down in different ways. We're all heading to the end of our lives. And the good plan of God is this, that he's given us victory over death. Death, where is your sting? It's gone. It's gone. See, Jesus wants to remove your fears. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out Fear. There's only one who loves perfectly, my friends. Only one. And that's God. He loves perfectly. And the good news for those who place their trust in God is that the fear of death is gone. The joy of eternal life is embedded deep within your being. Second Timothy 1 7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word their power is that word we've talked about in the past, dunamis, uh, this dynamite power, this powerful force within us of Jesus Christ never leaving us. And then we talked about the church being born right in, in, in Jerusalem in around 30 AD as 120 believers were in an upper room and tongues as a fire descended on those people in that upper room, and the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It was the birth of the church. It was the moment in time 
When God took up residence in the hearts of the human temple, your body. It's an amazing transformation. You know, in the Old Testament, God would meet with people in the temple in Jerusalem and synagogues throughout Israel. That was the place where you went to meet God. There was no conception of God living within you. But in Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, God took up residence in the hearts and lives of believers like you and me. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. He lives within you. The church was born. See, after Jesus' death and resurrection, there was the Jewish feast of Passover. That was when Jesus was crucified as a fulfillment of the Passover feast. Forty days after that, Jesus ascended into heaven. And then ten days after that was the feast of Pentecost. It's a Jewish feast of harvest, right? It was then that the church was born during the feast of of Pentecost, this amazing harvest began. People began to come to the upper room, or at least where the disciples were, and they heard this mighty rushing wind sound, tongues as a fire. Peter went outside to the crowd and preached. 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, the beginning of the church. These people didn't convert because an army came into Jerusalem and said, believe in Jesus or die. That wasn't it. It was the power of God that came upon these 120 believers, backed up by the power of the resurrection, more than 500 witnesses that saw Jesus alive. And I want to tell you, that is one of the greatest apologetics for Christianity that the world has ever known. How did the church start in Jerusalem? How did this entity grow so quickly and spread throughout the world without any army conquering any country? Something, historians will tell you, radically happened in Jerusalem that caused thousands of people to believe in Jesus. What was that event? It was the resurrection. See, the birth of the church is an amazing thing. You know, there's one word that the New Testament uses to describe the church. It's the most prevalent word used for the church. I love this word. I love that the Holy Spirit inspired the New Testament writers to choose this word to represent the church. The word is ecclesia. Ecclesia. When you take that word, it's, it literally means outcalled. If I was to transliterate that or translate that word, it would be the called out ones. See, every time you read about the church, it uses the word ecclesia. The called out ones. You've been called out of the world to live a radical life for Jesus Christ. You've been given the victory. You've been given the responsibility of taking that gospel, which means good news, to a world that doesn't understand it. You're the called out ones. You don't live like the world anymore. You've been called out of that. Now, you're still in it, right? Jesus didn't mean for us to go to some mountain and become this reclusive community apart from the world and never touch base with unbelievers around us. We're in the world, but not what? Of the world. We don't think the same way. Why? We've been called out of the world to think differently. Even though we live among them, we live differently because we know that Jesus Christ contains ultimate truth. It's the called out ones. I love this one. The set apart ones. 
My friends, here at Riverview Church, we've been set apart for a purpose. My prayer would be that every one of you would say when you get to the end of your lives, the greatest work that I've ever been a part of was when I'm part of the church, doing the work of God in the church with other church people. Because the church is not a building, it's people. And with other believers, that was the greatest thing that defined who I was, the greatest work of my life. And we know that Satan wants to distract us, right? We know that Satan wants us to, like Wayne Rice said uh, last week, that Satan's strategy is to make you so busy, right? You can't do the work of the Lord. He wants busyness in all of us. So busy with the affairs of this life that we can't serve the Lord. But we've been set apart for a reason. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. This is a very familiar passage, but it reminds us of what the early church was like. Acts chapter 2, the church is born. What started to happen in the early church? It's a great model for us here at Riverview. Acts chapter 2, says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe, don't you love that? Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And day by day, this, jump down to verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Here you see the big group meeting together at the temple. And then breaking down into home groups. That's why we have home groups here at Riverview. See, when they went to the temple, they probably met in the court of the Gentiles. 3,000 people had come to know Christ, and then 5,000 would come the second time Peter would preach to faith in Christ. They would meet in the court of the temple. In fact, many of your versions say the temple courts. They would meet in the courts of the temple. That was the place they could gather and hear teaching about how Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament. As they would gather together and have these large group meetings, that's how they met in the early, they had no buildings. And then they broke down into homes. Here is a typical home in Jerusalem. These were small dwelling places. They were probably groups of 12 to 15. And if the group grew beyond that, they would meet in another home. Scattered throughout Jerusalem. What, what did they do? They were selling their possessions, distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. These were small groups that met to do the life of the church. So our task is to commit ourselves to a fellowship focus. And this is what I believe is found here in this passage. I got running out of time, so we got to go quickly. Of building up one another. This is what it says in verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. The Greek word here is koinonia. You've probably heard that word, koinonia. In fact, I heard that was the, in this national spelling bee test, that was the final word that the kid won on. He spelled the word koinonia. means fellowship, Right? All things in common. They were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they attended the temple and then broke bread in their homes, 
sense of having even communion, the Lord's Supper together. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, broke bread every day. This is a daily thing. Then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Isn't that the great thing about the church? We need to be faithful to what the word of God says, right? And God will take care of the growth. God will take care of the growth. We just have to be faithful, throwing out the seed, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We do that here at Riverview through our five priorities, the word, worship, fellowship, prayer, and witness. And I want to spend more time on these as we go through the summer. But our foundation is always Jesus Christ. He is the one that we build the church on. There is no other foundation. If someone builds on something else, it's a false foundation. These are the five priorities of our church. We're to be involved in the word of God as followers of Christ, right? We're to be involved in worship. That every Sunday that you come, you come with expectant hearts. When you sit down and you're ready to worship and we stand to sing the songs that you are entering in, expecting to meet with God in a very powerful way in the church where two or three are gathered together, Jesus said, in my name, there I am in the midst. So he's here every Sunday in a powerful way. And that we fellowship together, that this is a welcoming place, that the love of Christ is felt in this place. And when people come in, they sense a group of people that love them where they are at. And our desire is if they don't know Jesus Christ, that they would come to know him just like you and I have come to know Jesus Christ. And that they would experience the freedom that Jesus Christ gives them. And that we'd be a church of prayer, knowing that we can't do this with human effort. That you'd be praying for Riverview Church. All that happens here. We're in a spiritual battle, my friends. We're in a spiritual battle. We need to pray. And that you would be a witness. That's our fifth priority. That you would boldly, without apology, share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around you. This being a... uh, day of thanks as a church. I do want to give thanks to our church. Can I quickly, the last couple minutes, just go through all the ministries that are here, and then I'm going to have all the volunteers stand that have served in these ministries. Let me show you all the ways in which people serve at Riverview. We have our Sunday morning worship services. We have our coffee, donut, and veggies. Amen? Veg fellowship. We have our communion set up and clean up. We have our guest welcome team and ushers. Our set-up takedown crew, our Sunday morning duty team, they lock up the building. Sound and PowerPoint, they're doing it right now. Sermon CD recording and getting it on the internet. Video recording, worship team, we have our elders. We have in the children's ministry, teachers, helpers, greeters, nursery workers. We have our hall security team and door security team. We have Operation Christmas Child, our harvest festival. We put on that massive festival on that Saturday in the fall. We have our family ministry and family element that's coming up in July. We need volunteers to do that. We have student leaders who are volunteers in our uh, children's ministry that are high school students that are helping out. 
There's computer support that's needed to keep all of our records straight, not only with our children's ministry, but for the whole church. We have in our youth ministry, junior high leaders, a family ministry planning team. We have our senior high leaders. These are volunteers ministering to our senior high and junior high. We have our young adult ministry leader team. We have our River Brew team that raises funds for our youth group by selling coffee, our Mexico outreach, our mom life ministry, people that organize that in our church, our student leaders that are helping in those ways as well. Then we have our deacons and deaconesses, our benevolent team that help people out financially behind the scenes in a confidential way that you don't hear much about because it's confidential, right? Community outreach events that we have, finance and counting teams, financial counseling. People help others with their finances. Homeless ministry. We started the Bread of Life ministry a few months ago here at Riverview. Hometown Heroes, where we give gifts to first responders, police and firemen, started here at Riverview and is an ongoing thing. Our Hope for Prodigals, a prayer ministry for prodigal children. They would come back to the Lord. We have a human resources team that helps organize the policies for our church. We have a moving physical labor team that helps people. I'm going to switch to this because I sense that my mic has been going in and out. Then we also have our um, angel tree, our prayer team ministry as well, our angel tree, widow and widowers, Riverview University, our adult education classes. Visitation Communion Ministry, our lay counseling ministry, people that do counseling for the church. Adult ministries, we have our home group leaders, our ABF class and people that lead that. Our recovery ministry, men's 33 ministries, the retreats and Bible studies they do. Our men's ministry planning team, our women's ministry planning team. Our women's Bible studies, women's coffee break, Friday morning retirement fellowship. Grandparenting ministry, a brand new ministry. For our church facilities, we have our weekly landscape team, our Monday trash pickup volunteers. We have people that help out in the office, bulletin stuffing, stuffing, straightening up the worship center, church beautification ministry, IT computer support, people that drive our buses for the events here at Riverview, our kitchen team that prepares our meals for our various events. We have our missions team. People that organize our missions conference that we just had a few weeks ago. We have our Loft House ministry. We just built number 67. And our Mexico outreach team. Talked about our lay counseling ministry. Memorial services, those that help with uh, funeral services here at the church. We have our meals ministry. People that deliver meals for people in need. Our quilting prayer ministry our, our prayer teams scattered throughout the church, our food pantry volunteers, our hometown heroes ministry, all these things that are so vital in the working of the church. If you, you know, this is a way of saying thanks. We know the people that will stand now don't really want to, but just to see how the body of Christ operates. If you are any one of those volunteers, would you stand up, please? If you volunteered in any of those capacities, just stand up right now. We want to thank you for your service. Just see how the body of Christ operates. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Hey, thank you. You know, thank you for that. We have an amazing mission. God is calling us to do something awesome. And my prayer would be we won't drop the ball. Amen, church?
Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this uh, Sunday that closes out one fiscal year and we begin another one. And Lord, it's time for us to celebrate uh, what so many people have done behind the scenes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to do your work here at Riverview Church. We pray, God, that we would realize the awesome calling to which you've called us. Pray, God, that lives would be changed and people would come to know you. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. I'm